On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Well, we've just spoken about little little ways we change. I think traditionally Australian teams have been really aggressive and, and try to take the games to opposition. I think over here in particular, um, you've got to be really patient and, and I guess try and stay in the game for as long as you can. We know that the first three days here can move really slowly. Pitches are generally really flat and then the last two days it, it can start to spin and reverse and um, the games on the back end move really quickly. So it's about us being really patient, um, really disciplined. I suppose Jay all spoke a little bit about leaving our egos at home, particularly as a batting group, and, and being prepared to, to bat for a long, long time. And if we can do that, we'll have some success. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas, and I brought my ego out for this podcast. And joining me to go through the whole week's cricket action have Ben Horn, the gun cricket writer from the Daily Telegraph, and he's about to head off to the Middle East to cover the upcoming tour. Ben, how are you? Good, thanks, Menas. Yeah, just been having uh, sessions in the sauna this week to acclimatise for... Dubai. Have you packing plenty of sunscreen, I hope? I am, I am, although I'm tipping the UV might be worse in Australia than it is over there. It usually is, but um, <laughs> yes, I will be, I'll be lathered up. Good, yeah, good, good. Have you ever been to the UAE before, Benny? Only to the airport, and it was hot enough standing near the window. <laughs> and the voice you heard there was Joe Barton, digital sports writer for News Corp, an absolute cricket tragic, and a man who I think is going to be doing many podcasts with me over summer while Ben traverses the country following the Australian cricket team. Look, it's a big show today. We're going to... How are you, Joe? Oh, I'm very well. Um, yeah, I mean, Ben is going to be just living the high life in the UAE. I'll be in the office live blogging every ball of, this, of these tests. So, Can you, you know. stop eating these chocolates that Manners has brought in? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have touched them. <laughs> Haven't touched them. You're getting in shape for summer, Joe? Your beach bod? What are you trying to say? Am I not already there? I've already commented on how fashionable Ben Horn's looking. He's got a lovely new bag, and I I had a discussion with him the other day that I actually did a copycat bag buy after seeing Ben's fashionable bag, a lovely bag, so I'm ready for summer. um, I've got to say, I mean, it's the same brand, but it actually looks nothing like my bag. It's a different colour and it's a different style. Yeah, I did that on purpose, but I'd been actually eyeing up the one you got before, so I had to make a late mm. switch, uh, so it didn't look too sad. I think um, I've come to the wrong podcast. <laughs> I came on here to talk about cricket. Have another chocolate. <laughs> All right, so in today's podcast, we're going to be previewing the Pakistan v. Australia Test Series. We're going to wrap up the week's cricket headlines, and then to finish it off, we're going to talk about the Australian women's cricket team smashing the Kiwis in their T20 series, but it has not been without controversy. Look, but before we get into all that, I'd really like to just take a moment and um, just soak up the success I had campaigning for Christmas Day cricket. Regular listeners to this podcast will know I've been talking about Big Bash cricket on Christmas Day for a few years now, and news broke in the last week that it's a strong possibility the players have given it the okay to schedule Christmas Day cricket. Won't be happening this summer, but... Keep your fingers crossed that it might happen next summer. What are your reactions, guys, to Christmas Day cricket? Uh, I guess, firstly, it's not a huge surprise in the sense that um, Cricket Australia has been pushing for this for a long time. And manners. And manners. But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess perhaps I'm um, caught up in the past a little bit. I, I don't think it's necessary. I don't like it. Um, my main reservation with it is putting on my Cricket Australia hat for a second. Uh, my main reservation would be, if I was working there, is will anyone turn up? I mean, I think there's no doubt the TV, TV audience will probably be strong, but people who I know who celebrate Christmas are either travelling to their other relative's place at that time in the evening or they are literally strapped into the couch having had 
four beers at lunch and um, a lot of turkey. So yeah. I, I, I can't imagine anyone summoning uh, the strength to get themselves to a Sydney Olympic it's, Park. It's purely a TV-driven thing. Mm. Um, it's going to be going to be great for for TV rights because mate, there's no, nothing better than getting away from your family by mid-afternoon. And well, I was listening like the AFL and the NRL uh, TV viewing was up around two point three and two point six million. I mean, is that something that the Big Bash could achieve on Christmas Day? On Christmas. Day maybe not. I don't know. That that same. I, I don't. I don't think we're going to be talking about record numbers, but you're going to get viewers because there's no competition for anything. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we all know that what adds to the TV product is seeing full crowds. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than turning on a Thursday night game of NRL and there's just no one in the crowd. Um, doesn't reflect really well on tight TV. Shots on the crowd where they just like, mm. <laughs> take a shot of about twenty yeah. seats. And I and I'm not trying to bash the concept, you know. Like I'd be, I understand why Cricket Australia would want to give it a go, but I honestly don't think they'd get much of a crowd. I don't think the crowd matters, but I just get some of the details are that they've narrowed it down. There would would either be a Sydney derby, probably at Spotless, but I guess it could be at the SCG. Definitely be at Spotless, I'm, my understanding is. Because yeah. of getting ready for the Sydney test? Uh, more of the size of the ground, I think. I think 20,000-seat stadium as opposed to 40,000-seat stadium. And then if it was in Melbourne, it would be a, a Melbourne a Renegade Stars derby hosted by the Renegades because obviously the Boxing Day test starts the the next day in Melbourne. They're saying that Cricket Australia will fly the families in uh, to celebrate Christmas. So that, that could be quite an event. And th- there has been a negotiation for extra pay now this year with the extra games. And you think eventually maybe Christmas uh, Day cricket might even ensure further extra pay. Uh, you know, Ben, I've been thinking about something you said um, with the expansion of the Big Bash. Uh, that you think there is too much cricket. And, look, I'm obviously insane when it comes to cricket. I I can never get enough, but not everyone's as nuts as I am. Now that we really have this really busy summer, do you just think that cricket's brand will be diminished by a bit of overkill? Is that your fear? Yes, I I do. I think so, particularly with the Big Bash, which has been such a successful product. I think they are risking damaging or diminishing that um, product. I think... You know, one dayers and T20s and test matches sort of just continue on anyway. But I think it's the big bash that's that's under threat uh, if this goes wrong. Yeah, I do think that it's that it's too much. Um, and Christmas Day just seems like another kind of attempt to fill every single available space on the calendar. I think part of one of the one of the things that might help that is that they're splitting it over to broadcast networks. There was possibly a bit of fatigue factor when there was so much mm. cricket on every single night on Channel 10. Whereas now if it's, even if you're getting different commentators and, and that sort of thing, different different broadcasts that might um, rejuvenate, you know, the enthusiasm among mm. among fans if it is on every night and it does go for the two, two and a half months that it's going to go for this year. Just finishing up on the Christmas Day concept, it, that could be a sticking point because I think the players are, you know, advocating for uh, splitting it up. And you know, I think ideally they'd love to split it up even more than two ways. But as we know, it's it has to be. It sounds like under the agreement, it has to be Derby game. So that can only be Sydney and Melbourne. So that'll be interesting because I think Cricket Australia, I think, would probably prefer to just lock in Sydney. Um, they've done that with the New Year's Eve game uh, in Adelaide. I think they like the idea of just locking things in, and that's that's where that game's played. And uh, the Thunder and I, I gather the Sixers are keen. And playing it in Sydney does make sense because there's a Boxing Day test in Melbourne. That's probably enough. That's Boxing Day test is probably enough. Yeah, and having been to quite a few Thunder games, I mean, it, it looks like the demographic is perfect for a, a Christmas Day game. So anyway, it remains to be seen. Not happening this year, but I'm just happy that something has come of my constant badgering of Cricket Australia. They didn't mention you in the release, though. There was, there was no mention of Menace. Uh, there has been a rumour it's going to be called the Andrew Mensal Cup okay. that they're going to play for that day. So, yeah. Yeah. Big things in the offing. Yeah. All right, now let's... It's a shame that it's at Spotless, then, well, for you. Yeah, I know. Being in eastern suburbs. Having person. to present the... I'll be happy to go out there to present the trophy full of ham and turkey. All right, now let's move on now. Australia's test team is back in action this Sunday. They take on Pakistan in the first of two tests. 
recently, uh, two vice captains have been announced, Josh Hazelwood and Mitch Marsh, and news has come to surface that Tim Payne had to reapply for his job as skipper. Just leading off with this one, I would say that the vice captain announcement does make Mitch Marsh the favourite to be the next test skipper. I mean, I would think Steve Smith. I'm coming I'm coming around full, fully on the path that Steve Smith will once again be Australia's next test, test skipper once once his um, leadership bands over in 2020. So we've got Tim Payne, who is already 33 and already has uh, Alex Carey nipping at his heels. Um, I think by the time Steve Smith's ready to have a year back in the test team for starters and then have uh, that leadership band lifted, I think he'll be... I think there'll be pressure for him to be ushered up back in pretty quickly. I, I agree, except it's a long way away. Um, so he's got to serve the rest of this year as a band player, but then he's got another year One on top year. of that. So, so into 2020. So yeah, by that point, Kerry will be 35. Away. Yeah, and some big series as well, like the Ashes. A, you need to be informed to go on the Ashes, and then you kind of need to come out of the Ashes in good shape as well. So, look, I mean... I, I I do think that Steve Smith might captain Australia again, but uh, I don't know. I couldn't rule out there being an interim, another interim measure needed. But um, in the in the next eighteen months, yeah. I mean, who knows? But I, I just think there's so much cricket and so much time that you couldn't rule it out. I wonder if Smith would want to take on the captaincy again after the huge fall from grace that he suffered. Whether he just would rather just be a batsman, probably time will tell. I guess. I mean, he, he yeah. I, I guess. He, he will know more about how he feels about that once he's actually back I mean, on the I field. I mean, one thing that did surface was the stress of the job really got to him, and that's mm. part of the reason. But I don't think he stopped enjoying it. Like, I think, I mean, part of the reason why he was so shattered was to lose that job that, like, I, I, yeah, I don't think he was, um, I think he was enjoying the challenge of it. Um, he's, he's a hugely competitive, um, fiercely driven guy. Like, I, I don't think it would take much for the Australian Selectors to go, <laughs> would you like to come back and take this job? You know, it might have hurt you in the past, but this is, this is, I mean, it's the, it's the biggest job in the country as, as far as cricket, uh, mm. the cricket team goes. So, I mean, there's no doubt that this isn't an, an endorsement for Mitchell Marsh, no question. But in the past, I guess we've seen vice captaincy appointments as being a bit of an anointing of someone as the next captain, as probably with Michael Clark, it was, it was a sign that he was. He was the next in line. I'm not quite sure that with Mitch Marsh, it's that far down the line, mainly because he's uh, had a very good 12 months, but he really needs to cement himself in the side. And also as an all-rounder who's suffered a lot of injuries, I think he needs to prove that his body is up to staying on the park because if you look at the amount of cricket he's missed over the last couple of years, it, that would be a hard thing to have a captain who is on the sidelines that much. You need you need consistency with the captain. So, yeah, look, he's in the box seat, possibly the box seat for the one-day captaincy. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's a, any yeah, any decisions would have been made on that. My suggestions of Nathan Lyon and Usman Khawaja were not heeded by the, the men in power at Cricket Australia. Both didn't even present in the leadership sort of uh, presentations that six players were asked to make. I, I th- think that is an indictment on their character. There can be no other way of looking at it. Oh, I mean, I'm not quite sure about that, but... Um, or the way they view them. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the players who did get an interview, it is uh, interesting because the only ones who were really established in international cricket are the two that got the job, Hazelwood and Marsh. And um, you had Payne, Head, Carey and Finch. Yeah, I mean, Finch, sorry, Finch is... I'm gathering Finch was mainly being interviewed for the one-day position, and of course he is established. But yeah, you got Travis Head who hadn't hasn't played a test yet. Alex Carey who's um, hasn't played a test and has barely played an ODI. So yeah, interesting. Um, I think the the probably the most interesting part of the vice captaincy announcement was Josh Hazelwood's presence there. Um, we we did think Mitch Marsh would be would be there, but yeah, Hazelwood's presence does. Um, bring it, bring about an, a whole new dynamic to the role, and um, really like Josh. I think really it'll salt to the earth. I think it's a. I think the Hazelwood one is a good appointment for various reasons, but I, I particularly like the idea of marrying up the or strengthening the the bond between. We did talk about players marrying in a past <laughs> podcast. Strengthening the bond, perhaps between um, between the fast bowling crew and you know the leadership part of the thing. I mean that they are clearly 
by far and away the, the key to Australia's success at the moment, particularly this summer against India. And if you have if you have the um you know the the communication, the strengthening the communication between Payne, the fast bowlers, whether it be Hazelwood, Cummins, um, Stark, I think that's that's going to be a crucial role. And if if Hazelwood can do that, that's a it's mm. a big thing for the Aussie team. It's a fascinating thing, yeah. Like I spoke to Mitchell Johnson, uh, admittedly before the announcement was made. But and so we didn't know at that stage that it was going to be a dual role. So he is sharing the responsibility with Mitch Marsh. But um, I know that Mitch Johnson had reservations about a fast bowler doing the job simply because when you're quick and you're charging in, that next over where you go back to fine leg is actually an important time where you just need to refresh and just get your mind right. And Hazelwood said the other day that it's probably going to mean you'll have to field in the circle. Mm. You should um, become a slipper. And Terry Alderman style, <laughs> and yeah, and I guess to a certain degree, it'll it'll just put him in the game at all times. So when you think about it like that, it is going to be a huge mental adjustment for for Hazelwood. All right, let's turn our attention to Australia's first Test team. Now the big news is that Matthew Renshaw has to be in doubt for the first Test after suffering a head knock in the tour game. Uh, he was fielding a short leg and got smashed on the helmet uh, by a pull shot. It was a really bad blow. My man on the ground in uh, the United Arab Emirates thinks that Renshaw has been seen in the gym moving around. So the the symptoms are not too bad there. You compare that to someone like Will Pekofsky who had to sort of sit in a dark room for a few days after he got hit. So obviously Matt Renshaw is not nearly as bad as that. But concussion symptoms can flare and linger, which would make him in doubt for that game, which would mean Lobachane, pronounced like champagne, might come into the side, meaning there'd be four debutants. It, yeah, it's a, definitely a possibility now. Um, it does sound like it's minor, but you know, aside from the symptoms lingering, it's given Lobachane a chance to play in this tour game, and Renshaw hasn't played in the tour game, so... If uh, I think he's 39 not out or something, um, Labuschagne. So, look, if he makes a 100, <laughs> it does create an interesting dilemma for the selectors because you've got a bloke who's um, yeah freshly in form versus a guy who hasn't actually played a match in the conditions. So I think probably that side of it more than the risk that he would still be suffering symptoms is probably where the dilemma comes in but yeah it's definitely it's definitely on I hadn't thought of that one Ben because I would I would think Renshaw was a lock such good form over the last six months if he's fit you'd pick him but well, in many ways, a good point he hasn't had a practice well in many ways he is but he he missed one of the games in India one of the two games in India because he was injured I think he made 40 or something in the second game so yeah he's had a great county season but as of late he hasn't really played as much cricket maybe as they'd like but Look, I think you're right. I think Matt Renshaw is a key pillar in the team that they're trying to build. So I, I would favour him playing, but certainly creates an interesting um, discussion. Is, is there a concern for for him fielding in, in close around the bat if he's he's obviously copped a knock here? And, well, I don't think you'd be doing it again. I'm, yeah, he's he's taken knocks while batting. Um, obviously, um, what is his, his first Test century against Pakistan? He mm. finished with a he got a knock blow to the head and finished that with a bit a few concussive. Um, symptoms as well. So, I mean, I know this is over several years, so it's not quite the same as what we're seeing with Will Pukowski and Victoria, but when you have repeated blows to the head and, and that sort of thing, it starts to become a concern. Well, you, he can go down to mm. fine leg where Hazelwood used to field. <laughs> Put um, Hazelwood in. <laughs> I, I don't think you'll be there again. I mean, mm. like, similar thing happened to Chris Rogers. You know, he had too many head knocks and it was just like, get me out of here kind exactly. of thing. It's I, like, and I think that's that's where we're going to be moving towards mm. for with um, with Matty Renshaw as mm. well. I've thought that there w- might be a time where they actually make fielding that close to the bat illegal. Um, it's so dangerous, and obviously the only way you could illegal strong within the laws yeah. of the game. You know, you might want to say a ten meter minimum from the bat going forward for all teams around the world. Uh, do you think that's something they could look at? Well, it would change the dynamic of the game in that batsmen would be very well protected, I mm. suppose. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, safety is. Um, you know, huge focus for all sports now, and and if you look at it, it's probably one of the most dangerous things in cricket. Yeah, well, I mean, the the bounce would become about half as effective if mm. um, if you were to do that. Mm. 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 Oh, well, five meters. Anyway, it's just a, a random thought. And just going back to Loba Shane, pronounced Champagne. 
What do you think we should do on this show? Do you think we should take the Lucy Zelich approach from SBS Football and try and pronounce the names in their home accent, which would be Lobbiskagny? Or should we take the Aussie approach and just bastardise these foreign names as best we can? I would, I would like to pronounce it however uh, Manus would like me to pronounce it. Well, he said on a recent post, pronounce Lobbyshane like champagne. In which but I think he's just doing that so the Aussies don't mess it up. Like, it's in Afrikaans, it's Lobus Gagne. And, you know, we've had Joss Philippe running around for WA. Isn't it Philippe with a nice French accent? Middle name Ryan. It's Ryan Philippe. Yeah, like the, Ryan uh, the Philippe. Just, I just think it sounds better when we add some foreign culture into the names. Add mm. some culture menace. All right, good. All right, now we're going to take a close look at Australia's three <laughs> probable debutantes. Let's start with Aaron Finch. Uh, male is he'll open the batting. He has a first-class average of 36 with only seven first-class hundreds in 76 matches, but has 13 hundreds for Australia in white ball cricket. I guess my questions about Finch are he bats in the middle order for Victoria in first-class cricket, but we're asking him to open the batting. Do, do you think that'll be a problem? Well, I think he's got to open in these conditions because um – yeah, I just think he'd probably get too bogged down if he was coming in at the middle order. I mean, these are vastly different conditions to what he would face in Australia. Um, if he goes well in these two test matches, then I guess there'll have to be a consideration of moving him in the order once the test matches start in Adelaide. But, um, look, he's the guy that I'm most interested in watching. I just think, you know, it, it's a it's a fascinating uh, selection. And if it comes off, it could be a masterstroke and could be a real key to Australia navigating through these uh, difficult few months ahead. So um, he's the guy that I'm most interested to see how he goes. Um, yeah, and I, you know, the, the, the other thing um, against Renshaw, which again isn't his fault and in the end probably won't matter, but I just think that it's just a gut feel, but I just think Finch and Kawaja might really click as a, as a combination. I just think the flow may work a bit better, but I could be wrong. And also I like Kawaja opening. But. And Kawaja, who... Uh has been left out of just about every overseas team we've picked in uh, mm. in Asia. So, I mean, he, he has more of a point to prove than possibly anybody, including Finch. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, he's... And if you can protect him from uh, from spin by, by playing him up the order. But, but do you think mm. Finch and Kawaja would be a good combo, Bardo? Yeah, I like them. Two, uh, two contrasting styles of left-handers, but... Um, well, sorry, left, left and right combination, but... Could work in one-day cricket, too. Kawaji hits a lot of boundaries. I think I'd like to see it more, more yeah. in one-day cricket than I would in test cricket, but um, we're going to get a, an early an early shot at it mm. here. Yeah, Kawaji doesn't hit enough sixes, I reckon, to make the one-day side at the moment. All right, the next probable debutant is Travis Head, Adelaide Strikers captain. He's played 70 first-class matches with an average of 36.43. He's got seven centuries as well. And has played 39 one-day internationals for Australia. And I guess what makes a key part of his story and his development is he was given the South Australian captaincy at a very young age. In his early 20s, he was made captain of South Australia, probably too young. But but I, I think he seems to have the right stuff to make a good fist of test cricket. He, he does, but he doesn't have the record to back it up, in my opinion. Mm. Like, he averages mid-30s. His record's better than Finch. So does that mean Finch doesn't have the record? Finch's record has improved considerably over the past two years. Well, so Head's record, like, by the same... The last two years, both of them are better. I think, to settle this argument, um, (laughs) Finch is being picked, in all honesty, because he's made 13 international hundreds before, which, you know, is a different format. But I think he's been picked on the strength of that. Uh, Head has been picked on the strength of having potential and also being a very strong character. It's 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 a it's purely potential. If you're picking him on on numbers, he's just not going to um he's like you can't you can't justify well, a bloke he, he shouldn't be there six. over Maxwell if you're looking at it on numbers, but um they've obviously like Justin Langer made a point of saying in his announcement press conference that like Travis Head is essentially his man as in he just loves the way Travis Head goes about things so really it's the, the world's at his feet if he if he can um show he's up to this level i mean he's he's got the 100 percent backing of his coach so yeah it'd be interesting he's, he's 90 to, odd not out in the uh yeah. tour game. i spoke to trent woodhill after he'd worked with travis head over at the ipl a couple of years ago and he was insistent that travis head uh, being made south australian captain actually stunted his growth as a batsman 
So, and I did speak to Travis Head about that. Go through the Cricket Unfiltered files. There's an interview with Travis from last season where we tackled that. Just to um, compare Finch and Head with two players that aren't there, Joe Burns averaging 40 at first-class cricket with 15 centuries in 96 matches. So he's shown that he can make big scores. And Glenn Maxwell averaging 41, seven tons in 59 matches. So they're the people that were left off the plane. So looking at those numbers, who would you pick? The bloke who's got seven tons in fewer fewer matches with a better average? or Well, I had Maxwell in. Hmm. That's who I'd. That's all I'd be leaning for. All right, last debutant, probable debutant, but you know there has been some other uh, Peter Siddle might sneak into the the eleven for the first hits. But Michael Nisa played in the tour game, uh, the practice match, so he he's probably favourite to get a get a game. He's played thirty three first class matches, had ninety eight first class wickets at twenty nine point five five, only for one five wicket haul, but does have six half centuries as well. Compare that to, say, Chris Tremaine uh, from Victoria, who has 176 wickets at 24 with five five-wicket hauls. That's just give you a sort of barometer of Tremaine, who wasn't picked. But uh, I spoke to an official before last season who said to me that Nisa was a player to watch, and uh, he has been made the Aussie side. Do you two know much about Michael Nisa? My South African spies tell me it's Nessa. Good, no, Nessa. Outside of that, I don't, I don't no, know no. much more. Pronunciations, as you know, are very important to me. He's, um, yeah, look, he's he's in, certainly impressed the coach. I think he's, again, like Travis Head, he's the kind of player that Justin Langer loves. He can contribute with the bat. He hustles in the field. Good, honest bowler. Yeah, selfless character. So he ticks a lot of boxes. Um, you know, he's got a very good shield record the last couple of years. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of him. I got to be honest, and I did. I was surprised to see him in this tour game because I thought Peter Siddle uh, was going to have the inside running. Maybe he still does. Maybe they felt Siddle didn't need the warm-up game, but it would seem the kind of tour match where you just play your eleven. Yeah, I would have thought if they're taking Siddle on the plane, he would probably be mm. one of the guys, the, the second, the second favourite fast bowler, but. As you say, like they've picked a full-strength squad here, and he's not there. What what is it about Chris Tremaine? Do you think that that might be holding him back? He's he's my my mail is that it was a little bit of an issue about his fitness. It wasn't quite hitting the fitness requirements, um, but he, apparently he's been working hard on that. So do you not look at him as a little bit same same kind of style of bowler as, as some of the other guys? Well, just his, the, the you know he'd done so well in the MCG where the wicket was pretty um, hard for fast bowlers to get wickets. They thought he would those skills would transfer well to the UAE. I just think it's interesting. You know, you look at the records and he wasn't there. All right, now uh, just a couple of quick talking points out of the tour game. Nathan Lyon took eight for one hundred and three in the tour game. And there was a few drop catches by the Aussies, so that's a couple of things they'd want to fix up before the test match. And now let's turn our attention to the Pakistan team. They've made a change to their squad and they've called in veteran off-spinner Muhammad Hafiz to counter Aussies' left-handed batting threat. I've got four players to watch from Pakistan. Yazir Shah the leg spinner, Shadab Khan, the leg spinner, who was up at the heat, I think, for a little while in the last couple of seasons. And then you've got two fast bowlers, Wahab Riaz. We all know he can bowl quick. And I, th- I think he was the one that he. I think he hit Sean Marsh on the helmet uh, in this recent game. And then the last one I've just put there, I'm not sure if he'll play, but Hassan Ali, he just does a wicked, wicked celebration. I don't know if you've seen him. He's got the arms going and he's a passionate character. So they're my Pakistani players to watch. What do you think are Australia's main threats coming out of Pakistan? I don't think it's any particular surprise. You've, you've got the two guys at the top there, Yassir Shah and, and Shadab Khan, who... Yeah, we, we we saw how effective the spinners were in the UAE last time when Australia got completely routed, and I think the spinners combined for 27 wickets, I think it was, or something along those lines. So um, obviously Shadab is is new this time. Um, as you said, he's, he carved up for Brisbane. He's not wasn't didn't quite grab the attention of Rashid Khan from um, from Adelaide, but he only hung around for half the half the tournament and still made quite a huge, quite a significant impact. So. He's a very dangerous 19-year-old old leggy, and I think the two of those in combination are going to be particularly dangerous. I suspect there's going to be some uh, dust bowls tossed up. So, Yeah, look, um, apparently these pitches don't crumble like pitches do in India, so it's more like a 
I don't know, they're just flat and dry. Mm. So it's not um, – I don't think you're going to see spinners, like, turning it square um, to get wickets. It's it's just sort of like the subtle variations, which obviously you would think guys who are used to playing in the conditions will be very adept at, and certainly it brought Australia undone four years ago. So it's more that kind of stuff. It's a big challenge for Nathan Lyon because he actually um, had the worst series of his career in, in, against Pakistan four years ago. He's obviously – in every area, become a better bowler since then. So you'd expect him to be vastly improved, and he's just taken eight wickets in the tour game. But um, yeah, Nathan Lyon's um, going to be a key man. All right, a couple of other players. Um, Azhar Ali probably stands out as Pakistan's best batsman. And uh, if you were hoping to see Muhammad Amir bowlers, awesome in swingers to the right handers, they won't be happening because been, he's been left out of the Pakistan team after some indifferent form. Terrible Asian Cup. It was yeah. rubbish. Yeah. I know you were up watching that. All in, over you know, Bardo. All right. Now it's prediction time. Bardo, you're on the hot seat. What? W- who will be Australia's top run scorer for the series? And what do you think the series result will be? Oh, I would love Australia to get a test. I would say, um, let's say I'll bet partly with my heart here and say Australia will pick up a test and it'll be 1-1. Optimist? That's optimistic, I know. And who's going to be the outstanding batter? I'll give it to Sean Marsh. Good one. See him yep. scoring some runs. Marsh has been doing well. BH, Ben Horn on the um, front foot with this one. Look, I have been accused of spending a lot of time with Bardo in the past. We haven't compared notes. However, his two answers was exactly what I was going to say. Great. I think um, I think Sean Marsh is the experienced head in this team who, yeah, who will lead the way. And you see Australia winning a test? Yes. <laughs> He just wants something good to write I just, about. I, I, no, I honestly think, um, no, I don't know. I mean, Australia could get blown out of the water, but well, no, I think no. there's a lot of unknowns about the Pakistan team and a suggestion that they're not really in great shape themselves at the moment. So that's what leads, it's more, that, that more than Australia. me thinking Australia's a, good, a great side is why I think Australia might. Um, just jag one. Yeah. Well, um, I am I am with, uh, going to predict the Australian top run scorer to be Mitchell Marsh after his superb century in the warm-up game, anointed vice-captain. You know, we saw last summer against England him score a couple of centuries. Then in the first tenth test against South Africa, he made a brilliant 90. And I just think that Mitchell Marsh has turned a corner. So I think he'll be Australia's top run scorer. Series result, I'm sticking with my early prediction, 2-zip. Pakistan, Australia are not going to win a test over there, unfortunately. It's going to be a rough start for Justin Langer's team. So that's my predictions. Yeah, um, Mitchell Marsh is um, in good form, you'd have to say. He's made 100 for Australia A and now 100 in this tour game. So, yeah, and he kind of, without knowing, obviously, he kind of seems like the, the kind of player who might get a bit of a boost out of the extra responsibility he now has. You know, some great mate Langer there. Yeah, I, yeah, he's done well for Western Australia. I think he might thrive on the responsibility. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Then we'll be back with the week in cricket headlines. There's been some some amazing stats to come out of the JLT Cup. But before we do that, I want to remind you all, if you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast app. There are, there are many out there for both Android and Apple phones, including Google Podcasts, Player FM, and Pocket Cast, just to name a few. We're also on Spotify, which is becoming a, a new platform t- uh, to listen to podcasts. Please tell your cricket-loving friends about the show. And if you're just tuning into the show now that uh, cricket season's really starting to kick into gear, I recommend going back through the catalogue from the off-season. There's been some great shows with Josh Hazelwood, Peter Neville at the Sydney Sixers with Stephen O'Keefe and Lauren Cheadle. And last week, I caught up with the Australian women's vice-captain, Rachel Haynes. All right, we'll be back in a sec with Cricket Headlines. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas. I'm here with Ben Horn and Joe Barton, two of News Corp's finest And let's get stuck into the week of cricket headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph. All right, let's start with local cricket action. The one-day domestic cup is in full swing. And Darcy Short made the highest Australian domestic one-day score of 257 of 148 balls with 23 sixes. Now, that score is the third highest 
a domestic one-day score of all time. I think it was a fantastic innings, but Darcy Short, to me, still looks like a flat-track bully. Oh, man, the, based on those numbers, you'd say he could well be. Do we, we look at a lot of these these um, the grounds that they're playing in these JLT games, Hurstville and Dremoyne, tiny, tiny grounds. It's, it must be heartbreaking for a bowler to kind of run out and just... I mean, Pat Cummins was bowling to, to Chris Lynn yesterday, and Lynn... There's no purer striker of the cricket ball in Australia, but it's unfair to have Chris Lynn batting at Dremoyne Oval. It's not, it's not a big enough boundary. No, no. the ball's top-edging, yeah. carrying the, the boundary. Yeah. I just think Darcy Short, when the ball's moving a bit, and we saw him, saw him tested overseas uh, in the off-season in T20 comps, his, his technique really is suited to the, the, the bounce of Australian wickets coming onto the bat. Yeah, well, that's one theory. The other is that um, perhaps the step up to international level, he um, hasn't quite mastered that yet you know perhaps it's more that he's you know he, he's too good for domestic cricket but still needs to find his way um in international cricket i mean there's a lot of factors that you could say to take away from that innings you know small ground and flat track and all those kind of things but you don't get to 11 runs off the world record uh like it's a pretty special knock mm. and he literally middled everything that came came his way. He looked um, good for 300, didn't he? Yeah. Well, if he had batted out the innings, he would have made 300. But, um, yeah, he's one guy that, um, you know, he's, he's part of the brigade that really interested to see how they go this summer. Him him and Chris Lynn, um, these are the kind of players at Australia, if they are to defend their World Cup title, those guys need to to work at international level, simple as that. Otherwise, I don't think Australia can reach the standard that's been set by some other teams. But um, those two in particular have that extra gear and that fearlessness that you need to win one-day matches. Chris Lynn, and specifically Chris Lynn being fit, is, mm. is the one biggest key for Australia going to this World Cup. Well, he's made two centuries in this JLT Cup. The only thing is he did come off the field... It was a leg injury. Leg injury. Yeah. I hope it's not serious. No, I think he just copped, um, I think it was a cork or something like that. Okay. So I think it was a precaution to you know, get him right for their next game, which will be a final. But um, Another one's Ben McDermott. Have you, have mm, you seen him? I mean, he scored player. two centuries. Uh, he's made some more runs yesterday. He's averaging almost 100 in this comp. Uh, he's done well overseas. He, he looks like he has uh, some, some little bit of quality about him. Outstanding cricketer. Um, I know it was uh, a low level of cricket, but I saw him close up in Canada. He was in David Warner's team, the Winnipeg Who can Hawks. Canada? Who can forget the Hawks and Vancouver Knights? Just good times. Like, yeah, in, in, in a field that included Warner, Smith, and basically every excellent one, uh, West Indian cricketer that's played over the last 10 years, I thought McDermott was the player of the tournament from the games I watched anyway. He, he was outstanding. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a look in. Obviously, son of the great Craig McDermott for the listeners out there. Yeah, and uh, the other one that I've really liked and think it would be hard not to pick him is uh, Jake Weatherald from South Australia. It'd be hard to leave him out of uh, an opening spot for Australia, I would think. Yeah, he's, he had a terrific season last year as well. I think mm. he had a. How many people can open? You guys have got Finch, Kawaja, Weatherald, Short, all opening for Australia. Well, I didn't. Chris, Chris Lynn's got to be there somewhere as well. <laughs> Chris Lynn's three. Um, I don't know whether Short's opening the batting. Okay. And, yeah. And just fact-checking the podcast. Just to have a right. rotational system. Yeah. You know. yeah, that works well. And and last one, uh, Ben and I were at Dremoyne Oval on uh, Monday afternoon watching Jack Edwards bat, an 18-year-old player. He made a brilliant century. He's the youngest ever Australian player to make a domestic one day hundred. I have got him down for five thousand test runs. Uh, maybe I'll call an agency and just lock a bet in for that one. I have not been so impressed by a player's technique and a swagger at the crease in a long time. Jack Edwards just makes the way he moves his feet because he's, he's a very tall man, so he can get forward without overbalancing. Seems to be comfortable off the back foot. I couldn't find a shot he can't play. Just so impressive. Yeah, he's well. He's probably the best young talent in the country. Um, they all say. So he's only eighteen, and in normal circumstances, you'd think he needs a few years in Shield cricket. But in his case, and in the current context of Australian cricket, uh, he could get 
rush through the system pretty quickly, I'm going to tip. How quickly? <laughs> Not this summer, but... Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But I reckon, like, you know, you see every now and then guys get picked out of nowhere on, on uh, talent and given how um, short Australia are on depth at the moment and given his potential, he could fit into that category. We have had a search for, a, you know, a rock solid long-term middle-order batsman in particular. I mean, we, we picked up Steve Smith kind of sort of out of nowhere because we picked him as a league spinner, but... Aside Michael him, Clark was the last player well, that, that seems to, to come really come through. through. Reputation, yeah. So it, it would be a long time coming in many ways, and um, mm. it's not not unreasonable to pick a 19, 20, uh, 19 year old, twenty year old for for that sort of role. Mm. Well, cricket fans, you heard it here first. Mark down Jack Edwards, and finally, uh, with the the local one day comp, the uh, very important for the Australian side is to find a leg spinner and two um, players that are performing well. Adam Zampa is a leading spinner with 12 wickets and an economy under five per over. And the other one's Farwood Ahmed, who's come off a very successful T20 off-season. Uh, my thing about the two is I think they're both very good bowlers. Zampa, though, offers a bit more of an all-round game. He's a, he's a really handy fielder, can smash the ball, Got a bit of uh, he's got a bit of personality about him, Zamp. But I like him. Interesting character, and yeah. looks like he's kind of putting a little bit. I mean, there was a feeling that he'd been uh, overtaken in some ways by the guys like Swepson and those sort of guys who were getting taken on those tours. But I wonder if he's got too much personality for the Australian team. I don't know. I mean, I I, I would have. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get picked for the England tour earlier in the year. But perhaps it may prove to be a smart call in that they've sort of. Given a bit of a kick Apparently up. Apparently, he's been working on his variations in the off season, so maybe it was a little bit of a kick up the bum he mm. needed just to get things in order. Yeah, look, I think he's the safer selection, but Farwood Ahmed, it, it would be risky because he hasn't worked in the brief international career he has had. But I think if you look at guys who genuinely spin the ball and and, and opposition batsmen struggle to read, um, Farwood's your man. Um, perhaps he's more suited to T Twenty cricket mm. rather than one day cricket, but. He's, yeah, if you want to take a bit of a punt on, on a genuine um, leg spinner, I think he's your man. The other one who's been interesting is uh, young Usman from Western Australia. Mm. Usman Kedia, Abdul yeah. Kedir's son. I think I read somewhere that he's... He's put his hand up for Australia. Yeah, 2020 World Cup. His citizenship will have come through by then. doesn't impress me as much as Ahmed and uh, Zampa. I haven't seen enough of him, but he looks like his figures have been pretty good. Like he, at Hurstville Oval. As we've just been discussing, um, he kept things very tidy there. And, uh, he, yeah, the, the, a couple of players have struggled to pick him. All right, that was the week in cricket headlines. We're going to take our final <coughs> break in the podcast. I just want to remind you all, if you can rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show, and if you do leave a review, please email me at ozcricketpod at gmail.com so I can read out your review. Um, I only really get the Australian iTunes store review. So, yeah, please, if you leave a review from anywhere in the world in which you're listening, please let me know. You can find me on Twitter at amenners if you want to tweet me any questions. Leading into the summer, would love uh, to answer any questions. I might add a listener mail segment into the podcast. So, please send me some questions and uh, we'll be able to answer them in the next show. All right, after the break, we'll be back to chat about a very spicy T20 series between Australia and New Zealand. Got And no! Has, now, is that carried? That's the it's question. This might, this, this might this be is, an overturn. It wow. is. Well, there you go. Um, look, I was disappointed with the decision. Um, I think our, from our point of view, we, we felt that it had bounced and, and maybe it had an impact on the game. So, yeah, we were disappointed with the decision. Yeah, I, I will be speaking to the match referee after this um, just to get some clarification around why the reason was. Uh, I went and did see him after the incident. And, look, I understand that it's still halfway through a job, but um, I did want to get some clarification around you know, why that decision was made. Uh, I was two metres from it and there's no doubt in my mind that it carried. Um, I know that it didn't look great front on on TV but I thought Beth definitely got her hand under it and it, it carried. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. Men is Joe and Ben here. 
when Australia and New Zealand play cricket, controversy is never far away. And that was New Zealand coach Hayley Tiffin and Australia's vice-captain Rachel Haynes talking about a disputed catch in the first T20 between them. Then in the second T20, there was a disputed run-out that came up the other way where Australia might have felt aggrieved. Uh, well, uh, Barty, you saw this one. You, you're not happy with the the New Zealand wicketkeeper about this one, are you? Outraged. I, I, I just thought, Outraged. I, I, I just, like it. I just thought the uh, every every kind of replay I saw looked like it was clear the bail was clearly dislodged before, and I don't even particularly like the practice of reaching in front of the stumps to to grab the ball first. Anyway, I prefer the traditional, the old school traditionalist. Wait, I like it. Wait behind the stumps, wait for the ball to come to you, and then uh, whip the bails off. But especially in a situation like that, where Ash Gardner was halfway down the track, so there was no no danger if. if yeah, she could she could have taken two and a half ages to uh, to whip the bales off, and Ash Gardner still would have been out. I just find it frustrating that you you go and you use the DRS system, and then you're still really scratching your head. So in, at the first catch at North Sydney Oval, what really irked me was the soft signal on the ground was not out. So then if it goes to the, the TV replay, unless it's a definitive catch, and it can't have been definitive because the, the umpire looked at the replay like 20 times. So you think then you stick with the soft signal. You know, you need to have some consistency. And then with the run out, I mean, the ball didn't hit the stumps. Uh, it showed it on the replay. So how, how can you do that? How can you give it out? Well, it was part of the problem there, man, is that they didn't show the key replay till after the decision was made. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if... Uh, the TV gets the same replays as as the umpire, right. but uh, for that to happen, uh, it's just been it's just been frustrating. But a great series for Australia. They've they've turned the tide on the Kiwis who'd dominated them in T Twenty cricket recently. So Australia smashed the Kiwis in the opening two games, and they won they won a series for the first time in six years against them in T Twenty cricket. I was at the first game at North Sydney Oval, home of the North Sydney Bears, Ben Horn's favourite place. A crowd of 3,000 people turned out, and it was magic, a beautiful atmosphere. There was a real lovely, lovely buzz around the ground that cricket was really here for the summer. Yeah, I didn't get to um, North Sydney Oval for the first T20, but I did go to quite a lot last summer, and it really it's becoming just a, a great place to watch um, watch women's cricket. It's a very friendly atmosphere, as you say, like a positive positive buzz around the ground. They get They do get good crowds in there. It's not such a large cavernous kind of stadium that you can have that amount of people and it still feel bad like this is it's the it's the perfect size in my opinion for for what the women's game is bringing at the moment and you get a good youthful crowd like it's it's what just a good atmosphere what is the capacity there 10 10 grand place the what? ground record would have been for the Bears would have been um, upwards of 20, <laughs> 25. I, I love I, cricket grounds where you can do a full circle. I just have that when you can walk around the ground without mm. being stopped it's by a security guard. It's a shame you can't walk your dogs in there, but, but aside from that, it's got just about everything going. It's got the grass. Um, so some takeaways from the T20 series. Haynes, Rachel Haynes, guest last week. Meg Lanning, Alisa Healy, Megan Shute, Elise Villani, Sophie Molyneux have all made crucial contributions. I'll get that out eventually. Uh, and there's been a real shift with the Australian team. They're trying to be more aggressive at the top of the order. So Elise Perry and Meg Lanning have dropped down the order. And they've got uh, Mooney, Healy, and Ash Gardner at the top of the order, and they're, they're playing with a certain fearlessness. And I, I spoke about it in the show with Roach Lanes. They just want to really push themselves the most they can. Sorry, just a piece of uh, history for the listeners. The ground record crowd at North Sydney Oval, 23,089 people, set on the 13th of May 1994, for a round 10 match where North Sydney Super League played Manly. You wouldn't um, have brought this up unless the Bears have won. Unfortunately, the Seagulls won 11-8. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. Just the standard, uh, <laughs> standard mid-season game. Well, that just shows that that so was a... You a, can fit another 20,000. Yeah, well, that's there. good. So you could get a decent <laughs> crowd. Um, so Australia looking good at the top of the order, really trying to score bigger ahead of the World T20 in November. I also think that the professionalism of the women's game can really be seen in how fit the Australian team are looking. I mean, they look a lot fitter than the Kiwis. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't remember who was saying that, but, yeah, they have done a lot Probably of... Probably me. Where, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they have... Their um, their fitness has been been very good, apparently. Um, 
yeah, so as, as you would expect, they're you know professional cricketers now. So um, yeah, look, I guess the key thing about this series is um, is the preparation for the World Twenty Twenty. New Zealand's obviously one of the big challenges for that tournament usually so on that level um things are looking positive for mm. the Australians. i mean australia you know have had some disappointments losing the world t20 final last time being knocked out of the 50 over world cup semi-final so they have a lot ahead of them they really want to bounce back and win this t20 in the west indies i'm still working on getting sent over there to cover the tournament it's no positive feedback yet on sending me to the west indies uh, so that is the Australian women's team. They've won the series 2-0. The third game is at the end of the week in Canberra. So if, if you're in Canberra, go and see the Australian women's team in action. You'll have a good time. All right, guys. I reckon we'll leave the Cricket Unfiltered podcast there. Bardo, have you been um, asked to interview to be the chief executive of Cricket Australia? I actually uh, knocked it back. Um, yeah. <laughs> he likes, he's based in Sydney. Yeah, I'm you not really looking forward to Jollymont, but... Look, it's an interesting one. It's going to be um, announced uh, in the next few days who James Sutherland's replacement will be. There's a few rumours swirling the around. And my concern is... Manly's had some good CEOs over the years. you want to volunteer any of them to Cricket Australia? We've certainly gone through a few, so there's a couple <laughs> of ex-ones if they want them. Um, my concern, we, don't, we don't have enough time to go through all of Manly's CEOs <laughs> or coaches for the past 10 years. My concern, though, is whoever they put in to the position. I just don't want them to be a puppet for the board. I, I want them to be able to forge their own path. So that's my mandate. No one's listening, but let's see who's announced. Ben, I just want to say, enjoy the two tests in Pakistan. I'll do my best. Obviously, we're going to miss you, but listeners, if you want to keep up with what's going on in this series, Ben will be writing dailytelegraph.com.au, Herald Sun, all the News Corp mastheads will have Ben's writing, so that's where you can keep up with the Pakistan tour. Bardo and I will be holding the fort down here, I'll be late here. night watching the late nights watching the cricket, and uh, we'll be able to catch up for a podcast. I hope, Bardo. Oh, I think so. We'll try and get Benny on the phone, maybe. Definitely, definitely. Good luck with that. I'll be uh, putting it on aeroplane mode when I uh... <laughs> land. <laughs> when you land yeah. as well. All right, you have been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I am your host, Andrew Menzel, and we'll be back next week with another show. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. Hey, I'm Bert from The Burt Show. You have people on a show that really don't like morning shows. Stealing an entire school bus, I gotta be honest, that is my dream still. Why take initiative when you can take a nap? I like keeping it real and I like keeping it gross. <laughs> so we created a show that we really wanted to hear. It's real and it's funny and we will talk about our personal lives. We're not scared of anything. Okay, if you want this prize right here, you're gonna have to work for it. What I love most about this show is everybody's vulnerability. And though our perspectives may be different, we're together is actually fun. We put the fun in dysfunction. I think it's unlike anything that you've heard before. The Burt Show. New episodes every weekday and the weekly top 10 on Saturdays. Listen to this show on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast. 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 Acast.